Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Good morning, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. This week's guest is Shahar Lake, and he is the CEO and founder of Mindspire Tutoring and Test Prep, which has tutored thousands of students across the country for over a decade in the SAT, ACT, and every other academic subject. Shahar has been teaching in high schools and tutoring standardized tests for over 25 years. He earned a master's degree in history from Stanford University, writing his thesis on the history of IQ testing. Ever since, he has been determined to help students succeed on standardized tests and in high school. Welcome to the show, Shahar. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm personally excited about this discussion because... I definitely was a child, a student who had a significant amount of test anxiety. But I know when it comes to the standardized tests, it could be test anxiety. It could be just the way the tests and the questions are laid out versus, you know, our, our the kids and what they normally test in the curriculum, et cetera. There's so many factors. So let's get started. And first thing I want to know is... As far as standardized tests, like, why are they necessary? And and we all know as much as we'd love to see them go away, <laughs> um, at least the kids would and parents, but uh, why are they necessary and why are they here to stay? Yeah, so, you know, there was just an article in the New York Times a, cu- a couple of days ago about some of the data that's come out of, about the SAT and the ACT in colleges. And the director of admissions at Yale, of, of all places, said that he believes that the SAT and the ACT is the single best predictor of success at Yale that they have. So in a nutshell, that's why they're around, because they work um, <laughs> for the most part. It's not across the board, and it's one piece of data among a lot of other data. It's not like Yale just looks at the SAT and that's game over. I mean, it's far from it. Um, And there are still a lot of students who get into Yale and similar types of schools without submitting any standardized tests, but not that many. Um, You have to have some exceptionally interesting stuff going on for for that to happen. One of the big topics right now is grade inflation. Um, It's a lot easier to get an A than it used to be. For me and you, okay. if, if, if we, we go back to school, an A was like impressive. Today at a lot of schools, almost everybody gets an A. Um, really? Yeah, it's a huge thing. You could see the data on this, like the, the the average GPA at American high schools has just been going up, 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 up over the last 20 years or so. So what that means is that for colleges, for example, they don't know what an A means anymore. You know, how it, it, it it may be at some schools, it might be really hard to get an A. At other schools, it might be really easy to get an A. So when they can see the GPA and they could see the admissions, the, the the SAT or the ACT score, then they have a much better grasp of what might be going on. Um, another thing is that for students at, um, you know, in, in lower income areas, 
where you know where they don't have tons of resources and and, and what have you. The SAT score is a is a really useful way for colleges to identify students who are really able to thrive at college, but don't have, you know, someone helping them write their essay and don't have, you know, um, a private tennis coach and, and all of these things. Um, but if they can get a 1350 on the SAT coming from that kind of background to a college, that's like, oh, we wouldn't have noticed this, this kid otherwise. Um, that's right. That's right. So there, there, it's kind of coming back a little bit as colleges, you know, are recognizing that it's, it's a meaningful piece of data, a very meaningful piece. Again, it doesn't mean it's the only piece of data. It's, it's just one more piece of data. Um, and from a college perspective, the more data, the better. Um, you know, if you, if you have five pieces of, of, uh, data to, to make a decision about what a kid is like and, and, or his his or her ability to succeed in college, and then you add a stick. Well, now you just know a little bit more to to make a decision. And you know, and since the SAT and the ACT and these other standardized tests are the same across the board, you know, the last thing I'll say it is the literally the only the only absolute apples to apples comparison that schools have to make a judgment. Everything else can be very very different depending on where you live, what city, what state, rural, urban, suburban, and it's very hard to make comparisons. And this is a way to make just an apples to apples comparison. That makes perfect sense because that's the only common denominator between all of the students. But I would imagine too that you know, for me, at least, I know it increased a lot of anxiety for me. And, uh, and it was like, oh, my goodness, I, I have to share a story. When I took the MCATs, which is, uh, for those that don't know, it's the medical college aptitude test. And so I was at towards the end of my undergraduate. And now I'm trying to get into medical school. So the MCATs is, you know, similar to like LSATs, etc. We all are familiar now with you know, postgraduate um, standardized tests. And it was funny because during an interview, they said to me, um, you know, your grades are really good, but uh, this, that your test score doesn't really match it. And so I would imagine that, you know, these admissions administrators really do have a lot to sift through when it comes to that. And, uh, and so let's delve into how do we, how, how do we help our students master these these tests? Uh, another quick story is I, I have two sons and my oldest son was one of those kids who things came really easy to him. Right. So he didn't have to study much, still got A's, blah, blah, blah. My other son really just as intelligent, but just had to put in a little more effort. He was more like me. That's exactly how I was. And um, and it was interesting because he took the ACT and he did not, he, poor kid, did not have a good score. So we ended up hiring somebody to kind of help tutor him, not so much in content, but what helped him was really how to take the test. And, and so I'm, 
you know, I'm, I'm not sure where to start in this conversation, but I know that you have, you know, many tools in the toolbox for families uh, to get started when it comes to mastering these tests and, and really showing, like you said, who they, who they are and their capability versus uh, because like you said, this is the one apples to apples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the reason I got into this and stayed with it now for a quarter of a century's gulp um is i can relate i can relate (laughs) yeah you know is because um i felt defined negatively by my own experience in high school taking the test and you know i took the test i didn't get any really preparation it was just kind of this blind thing and then i I did okay, but I saw other friends who was like, I think I'm smarter than that kid. Why didn't I get a good score? You know, and I I sort of carried that with me. Everything went fine. I went to a good college and blah, blah, blah. But, but I, when I started teaching the SAT right after college, it was just like this first part-time gig. I was like, Hmm, I need need to earn some money so I can get out of my parents' house. Um, And it was very gratifying to help students um, not feel like this test was defining them in, in a way that they didn't want to be defined, you know, let, let them make that definition, at least to, to whatever extent that they can and walk away from this saying, I, I put in what I got, I learned something and I, I'm proud of, of my score, or at least I'm proud of, of how that all panned out. Um, what I put into it, what I put into it. Um, so, you know, that's that's why this is still a, a, a very gratifying thing to do. Um, and to get to the question of, well, how do you do it? Um, <laughs> that's a big question. So, Let's break yeah, it down. You know, there's a lot. Um, one thing in terms of content versus strategy versus like taking the test. I would say yes. it's, it's about 50-50. Okay. Um, Kids know a lot of things, you know, but there's always, oh, you never look, you know, I, I see it with geometry and math all the time. You know, a lot of times by the time they come to take the SAT or the ACT, they did geometry two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't remember the circumference of a circle anymore. And it's like something that they used to know by the back of their hand, but it's not, it's not like riding a bike. Like, not like the, the day you learn what the circumference of a circle is, you'll never forget it for the rest of your life. It's just not like that. So, I don't think I don't think I could tell you today, right? <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe if I thought about it, but not right off the top of my head. It's for two sure. Pi, two pi r. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you're luckily you're not going to be tested on that. So, Thank you. You know, it's so there is just these these content things that develop over time. Like punctuation is another one. Like just schools don't really teach punctuation in in a very nitty gritty kind of way. They don't really. It's very rare for a school to to have to make students absolutely surely learn, you know, where you put commas and where you right. put a semicolon. And kids are always like, I don't know what a semicolon really does. <laughs> but they're all over the test. The SAT and the ACT really there's, you know, there's a bunch of semicolon questions. So there's some content that has to be learned if you want to improve your score. And then and then the other part of it is, you know timing and knowing what types of questions are going to be on there. So you don't get thrown by something weird and being able to sit there for two hours or three hours or whatever the case may be 
Um, and on the SAT now it's digital. There's the first digital SAT will be on, will be in March. Every single student who takes the SAT in, in beginning in March in the United States will be taking it on a computer and that whole platform. And there's a cool calculator that you can use on the digital SAT. And you know how to use that. You got to know how to use that. So all these very specific things to the test, like for that calculator thing, for example, I'm telling you kids who know the functions of those calculators are just going to get higher scores, period, end of story, no matter how much math someone else knows, because it's powerful stuff. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the taking the test piece. And then, and then the last thing is, um, actually taking simulated practice tests. So yes. that full length, you know, you sit there for two hours, that's the digital SAT or for three hours for the ACT in a room, maybe with other kids or online where there's like a, a live proctor online, at least so that you still feel like you have to sit here. You can't just walk away and, you know, a full, you know, we call them mock tests and um, really students who, who just practice and do a bunch of practice problems and stuff, but never take a, a mock test or preferably more like three or four, they will not end up getting the score that they think that they should be able to get because test day adds this other level of stress and the way to negotiate and manage that stress is is to and to be prepared for it as fully as possible. And so, taking these these mock tests um, in terms of anxiety, that's also I think about it like as uh, exposure therapy, right? So, um, yes. my, my my sister all of a sudden got really afraid of driving on highways, and so what what did she 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 had, you know, she had kids, she had to drive on the highway. She could not right. avoid the highway for the rest of her life. So what do they do? They, they, they get on the highway and they go on the, uh, you know, at a place where there are very few cars and they go 30 miles an hour in the far right lane. And then they get off the next exit. Right. And you do that like for an hour and then you go a little faster, you know, but the only way to really get over the anxiety is to confirm Front it and do it and, and expose yourself to it in a soft, gentle way. And that's what these mock tests are doing. Like kids who have higher test anxiety, they, they'll often take 10 mock tests. Like that's the that's their homework. We meet, you take a mock test, we review the mock test and see how that went, talk about it. You know, yes, there's some breathing exercises that can come in and stuff like that, but and that's important, but it, it has to be combined with like exposure. taking these tests that makes perfect sense so what i kind of going back to one thing that you said it's not just about let's just practice questions you know i mean that and that's not a bad thing to do but what it sounds like you're saying is what really makes the difference is those mock tests like actually simulating like what it is and not just once or twice it sounds like the more you do it and i would imagine that builds confidence Mm-hmm. too because they're they're ready it's like running a race you wouldn't run a a race you know in cross country even you might be a runner you know but but running with other people in that environment right where right. there's people watching you know I, I kind of equate it to something like that so it's a whole different um feeling and uh so and and I know one test I had to take 
we wore headphones. So in this digital, where they're going to go, and I would imagine with kids these days, they're probably going to appreciate the digital way more, you know, because it's going to be something they're more used to, because I know in high school and so on, they're in college, they're doing a lot of their tests online. But it's it's different when you're, you know, stacked around other students. But um, and then I don't know if they'll have to wear headphones. I, I remember one of the times I had to take um, re, um, my board certification, my recertification. Obviously, I take a lot of tests in my years. Yeah. And um, and I remember thinking, oh, I didn't realize I was going to sit here. I don't know why the headphones kind of bothered me, but had I kind of practiced just sitting there, you know, with even just wearing the headphones, I I think I would have had a lot less anxiety. So even just knowing kind of for the kids coming up in this in March, just knowing, okay, what is the atmosphere going to be like, you know, is it, um, you know, somebody walking around, you know, I mean, even just what's around you because, uh, and then sitting, like you said, for two or three hours, because that again, like running a race is you gotta, you gotta prepare for that. Yeah. I use the race analogy all the time, or or sometimes I use like a piano recital. Like you're not going to learn, you're not going to practice you know if you have a piano recital with 100 people there you're not going to practice like the first third and okay i got that and then on another day the second third <laughs> and then the last of it and and never put the whole thing together before you actually go in front of 100 people like you're going to do the whole thing a lot of times and try to get it as flawless as possible before you before you sit there and because it's a performance um it's not just do i know this piece it's also performing it at a specific time in a specific place. And that's the SAT and the ACT are performances just as much as they are tests of knowledge. Um, They combine those two. You have to not only know it, but you have to know it in this setting, in this context, on this day with these people and this guy watching you or whatever it is. So it's really both. And I think it's a very important analogy that a lot of, it's just really easy to sort of overlook um, because it just feels like, oh, like if you know math, you should do well on the SAT. But no, it's knowing math in this very specific way on this, in this day, setting. two hours. It's all of that. So yeah, it's a big deal. And I, I know too, for me, I would get anxious when I would just see people finish, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I, like, I was distracted by what was going around in the room, you know, so you have to be able to to tune that out too. Yeah. Or maybe you notice it, but then get back to focusing. Yeah. I, it's interesting that you talk about the MCAT and I know there's the USMLE and step one and step two. I know that whole world. And that's something I like to bring up. Like the, the tests for most of us don't really go away. It's, it's yeah. the SAT is just the first one. <laughs> and I've had students, I when, the best testimonial I ever got was a girl who I, I tutored and she, she, she got an, a nice score on the SAT and she, when she, she was admitted to Harvard business school nice. and she, she, she emailed me and she said, I would have never gotten here unless w- without your helping me learn how to take hard tests, just period. Because she applied that skill of what she learned on how to study, not only how to take, but how to study. It's like, it's a yeah. Different. Studying for a three-hour test is not the same thing as studying for a 45-minute test that you take in high school, right? It's it's a bigger process, and there are a lot of components, and there's a lot of 
better ways of doing it. Um, and she said, you know, like, yeah, you have to take the GMAT in order to get into Harvard Business School and you have to take tests in college and do well and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, it's a, it's a, it's a life skill, you know, not for everybody, but I mean, there's a real estate test. There's a test if you want to be a stockbroker. There's a test if you want to be, you know, a, a nurse. There's a test if you want to be a, a car mechanic. I mean, you name it, right? So there's benefit to just getting these skills of like, all right, here's how you study for a big test. And it's pretty masterable. Yes. And my husband is in finance. So he did mm -hmm. his, you know, CFP and CLUC and all these, you know, he's got these designations, but they all require tests. And I'm right now in the midst of studying for yet another recertification. <laughs> and yep. so you're right. It, it is, uh, it is something that is is a skill that you're going to take throughout your life, you know, depending on where your path leads you. So let's go back to that learning, you know, how to study. Where where do you start? You know, for me in school, it was like, okay, this is what's going to be on the test. You know, let's say it was biology and I would study the content, you know, for that test and feel like I mastered it. But when it's like, it's, you know, all these different things, you know, and there's course, there's courses, there's tutors, there's books, there's all kinds of information out there, which is wonderful to have all those resources. But, you know, it's also kind of mind blowing. Yeah. So. No the, pun intended. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the number one thing that we do and, and uh, you know, any good test prep ter, per, test prep person person should do um, is have students take tests and make a lot of mistakes. As opposed to what a lot of students do, you know, they'll come to me before they did any tutoring and say, yeah, I've been reading how to do this. I've been reading about what's on the math section. I've been reading, you know, reading strategies for how to do the reading section. And that is almost totally useless, um, <laughs> unfortunately, because our brains don't get activated by reading something passively like that. Our brains get activated when they have to work and they get especially activated when they when we make a mistake. It's like, oh, wow, time to pay attention, you know? Yes. So it's the irony is that the more mistakes you make in your practice, the more you're learning. Um, and this is a very uncomfortable space for, for many students, right? I don't want to be sitting there like looking at all of the mistakes I just made. But when I'm working with a student and, oh, you just missed five out of 10, I'm excited because I'm like, wow, we just found the area where you are going to grow the most and you're just going to get, you're going to get 50 points out of this because we, 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 we honed in on your weakest spot, bingo, points galore, right? And it's like, it's this whole other attitude of, you know, how do I get, how do I get better at something? So it's, it's all about practicing the actual thing and um, being open to making mistakes on the hard stuff and then going deep into it and being like, okay, why did that mistake happen? And then being very, very um, particular about identifying the cause of the mistake. For example, a lot of students will make silly math mistakes, you know, like 
oh man, I did 17 plus 15 and then I said 22 instead of 32, something like that. And they want to sort of write that off as like, oh, that was dumb. I'm just, you know, like let's move on. Right. Yeah. I just, I'll do it right the next time. Right. But it's, no, there's actually something going on there that is, um, that needs to be fixed, even though obviously, you know, that 17 plus 15 is 32, but there's still a reason why you said it was 22. So maybe you're, so maybe you read something too quickly. Um, so you have to actually change your reading habits slightly, or maybe you're not writing enough down because, you know, when you actually start moving your hand, your brain is again, like kind of working harder and register focusing more and you're less likely to do that. Or maybe you're literally punching things into your calculator too quickly, uh, which, which totally happens. There are all sorts of ways of fixing even those kinds of things, but you have to slow down, make that mistake, and really stare at it, really learn from it. Um, so it's a very, very active process of kind of the, the, the fundamental uh, takeaway there. And I, you know, like you said, it's uncomfortable to get things wrong. I would imagine a student who got five out of 10 would be like, I'm going to fail. You know, this is this is terrible. I'm terrible. What what is happening? You know, and yet you're looking at it as no, you're going to be better because we're going to find out those five. You know, we're going to really hone in on those five questions you missed and why. And the two, I know sometimes I think like I remember with my kids, I would always tell them before you answer. Look at every single, you know, choice. before you answer. So like the 32 versus 22, I could see how somebody, even though they see 22, they might see 32 because they're trying to go quickly. And they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, two, you know, this is, this is a number, you know, ending in two. And I don't know, I don't know if I'm on the right track with that or not, but that, that seems to make sense to me. But how do you get kids to go from okay, yeah, that's a great thing to get five out of 10. And for, as opposed to like, forget it, I'm, I'm failing. And before yeah. I, I want you to answer that, but with the digital, just for those out there, cause you were talking about writing, are, are the kids going to be able to have like a paper and pencil to, yes. to put the, okay. I was just curious that I, I didn't want to forget to ask you that question. So let's get back to the mindset of getting uncomfortable with missing questions. Yeah. You know, if I give a student a a worksheet with a whole bunch of punctuation problems and they come back and they got everything right, I'm like, oh, well, that was pointless. I don't even know why you did that. You know, like, what are you, what are you proving by getting everything? You know, you want to hit the sweet spot of where it, where you're hurting a little bit in order to, to heal that. You know, if you don't want to pay attention to your wounds, then they're just going to fester, you know? So it's the same kind of thing. Like it's, it's not comfortable, but you know, I tell kids like it is the discomfort that is where you're actually learning. Like that's Mm -hmm. all there is to it. And it's, it's kind of just how it is. Um, So the more you can embrace that as a like and take it in as okay here's where i learn the better um i just read a wonderful book called the comfort crisis um Mm. by i forgot his name but um this guy he went he's a journalist he went to alaska for like five weeks 
and you know off the grid and was talking about all of the different ways that he was uncomfortable he was bored he was you know cold he um you know he was physically exhausted you know all of these ways um and then going through the science about how all of those things are actually sort of making him healthier um our our brains are we're more creative when we're bored if we if we never experience boredom it's really hard to be creative like all these it's really fascinating and it's the same thing with with learning um Obviously, having a coach helps, right? Like, it's hard to do that on your own when you're not used to it. So that's why having a good teacher or a tutor, you know, I'm here. I know that's, I know missing five feel, feels kind of yucky. Um, but I promise you, you're going to be able to do this and you're going to miss zero or one in a month. And it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to help you get there. And it's cheerleader. I mean, you know, that's why, uh, you know, Steve Jobs had a, had a, had a business coach, right? Like this great business genius, but he had a coach because it's, it's going to get hard for everybody. Um, and a coach, someone, someone with experience and wisdom and compassion to sort of shepherd you through makes, makes a huge difference. And I would imagine too, you know, I, in my practice, I always identify that every family, every child, you know, is, is different and unique and so not every coach or method is going to be the same for everyone. Oh, it's very, very particular. Yeah. And especially with such a, a big test that covers such a wide range of things, it could, it's, it's no, no two processes for improving that score are alike. There, there are always nuances about what, you know, how this kids brain works and what what they need to hear some students don't need any cheerleading you know <laughs> they cheer they cheerlead me you know um, uh, you know and or they're uh, to the well, point let's get it done <laughs> yeah there's just like total business you know um and I, I i crack a joke and they don't even smile i'm like okay no jokes we study um you know so um you know everyone's different and everyone has what makes them tick and you know the, a good tutor pays attention to, to that kind of stuff and be like, all right, what's, what's going to motivate this, this student the most and, and has, has a, a toolbox of various um, tools to, to, to figure that out. What do you say to a family who like, let's say you have your first session and the kid comes back and is like, I don't want to, you know, because like you said, there's, there's a lot of discomfort and I love the analogy. It, because I think we can apply that to almost everything in our life, that getting uncomfortable is really the way that you change, the way that you improve. And so to me, knowing the adolescent mind as well as a pediatrician, I would imagine there's a lot of kids that are like, I'm not going back there, you know. Um, so what do you say to a family who, you know, knows that this is going to help them and you know it's going to help them, but the kid is resistant because it's uncomfortable? Yeah. So there has to be some buy-in from the kid. I, I, I'm not a miracle worker. Um, <laughs> and if the kid's like, I don't care about this test really. Um, you know, but so what you try to do is you go there, you're like, all right, well, let's, what, what would the, what would it mean to, to get a 1300 instead of an 1100? Let's be really clear about what, what, what kind of doors would that, that open? 
Um, for the parents, a lot of times there's scholarship money associated with higher test scores. For the student, that might matter directly, or they might say, you know, I really like what I, it would really be fun to be in the in the stands watching, you know, University of Michigan win the national championship or whatever. Um, I, that would be an amazing experience. Well, you have to get into University of Michigan in order to do that. Which is not um, easy. And, and not easy. And, you know, so getting at the vision, right, the, the vision of of what what things could look like, you know, and then also it's important to be, I, I don't want to overwhelm students with work. Like we can be flexible about how this looks. Some students, they'll say, okay, if this is going to be an hour and a half of work a week you know, overall as they can't, they can't handle three hours a week. It's too much. So we can work with that. And it means they would, in order to get the same kind of improvement, they would have to do it over a longer span of time, but that might feel less stressful um, or less overwhelming. Um, but yeah, I mean, it takes, you know, that kind of conversation and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, and it's not for everybody. Um, if there, if a student is just like, I just, this is not very important to me and I'm okay with whatever score I get, then go right ahead. That's totally yeah. fine. You're going to end up okay too. I promise. Um, yes. and, and, and that's, that's okay. You know, so. So when do you recommend these students start working on this? So the basic recommendation, and there's some wiggle room here is to take baseline mock tests in the summer before junior year. Okay. So you take a, a baseline SAT and a baseline ACT. And, you know, we do that for students we'll, on Zoom, in person, depending on where. Um, and you get these two scores. You're not taking the official ACT or the official SAT, but you're taking a previously released official practice test kind of thing. Okay. And you see which one you're better at um, because everyone's kind of better at one or the other. Some students just they're slight. The tests are different enough that they play to certain strengths. And some students are just going to be naturally out of the box better at the ACT and some will be better at the SAT. Okay. And then once you know your baseline score and which test, you kind of see, OK, well, what do I want here? And if you need to go up just a few points, then wait. And maybe start a, a, an, an official test prep process in um, maybe October or November or December or even January. January is our busiest month when people sign up as juniors and then they take the test in June um, or May or June. You know, but if you have a lot of points to go up, then you might start right then and there in the summer before junior year. And because it's going to take a while. Um, it. If you want to go up a whole lot of points, it's it's a, it's a big deal and it takes time, um, you know, six months. Um, so, uh, you know, taking these, getting us a, a sense of where you are the summer before junior year, all just allows you to make the right decision for you. You know, it means, okay, you know what? I don't have to stress this. I can wait and I can just do this later. Or, you know what? Time to start. I have big math math content gaps, for example, that I, I didn't even realize I had, but the test can sometimes point out. And then you, you have a, a longer kind of on-ramp. 
that's that's how we do it. In addition, and that's really good advice because you know what it sounds like is no matter who you are, you don't want to wait till January to find out, you know, where you're at. So wait, you know, doing it the summer before, then you get a, you get an outlook of really how you're going to manage the next 12 months of your time, so to speak, you know, or less. So going back, do some of the colleges, I I mean, because it's been a while, not only for myself, my, my kids, uh, my youngest, hard to believe has been out of college almost 10 years. Um, I know, but, um, or when he started college is what I should say. And I I don't recall whether, or I think that some schools require one test or the other. Is that still kind of how it is? Um, Because what it sounds like you're saying is that, you know, you take it and then you kind of go, okay, this is, this test is probably going to work better for you. But are there cases where it's like, okay, that might be the case, but the school only accepts an ACT? No. So every university in the country accepts either test. Okay, good. Every single one. So that's why it's like it really makes sense to figure out which test are you just off the bat better at and then focus on that. Um, And then, you know, additionally, most universities are still test optional um, officially, meaning you don't have to submit a test score. Um, And that's important there, you know, for maybe a third of students. In the end, it's better if they don't submit a test score. They have a better chance of getting in. Overall, you have a better chance of getting in if you submit a strong test score by a lot. But in some cases, if anxiety is too much of an issue or there's some kind of thing that happens with the test, then it's it's a it's useful to know that you don't, you know, this is you don't have to submit and and you know, so we do have students who go through a whole process, especially students You know, right now in order to get into like Ivy League schools, you need just insanely high scores. And even then, it's still a crapshoot, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have students who get very high scores, but not quite high enough and they don't submit. Um, OK. And and they still apply. And, you know, so that's a decision that can be tough to make sometimes um, you want to work with someone who's uh, kind of an expert or a college counselor, someone who, who can help with that if you're, if you're aiming for these really selective schools. Um, but it, it still kind of makes sense for everyone to at least try to get their best score on one test. Well, and I would imagine either way, you should take that practice mm-hmm. in, in the summer before your junior year and over that course of that following year, that junior year just that's when you make those decisions. And it probably depends on the school, the student, where they've gone to school, what what their the rest of their, you know, um, picture, portfolio, whatever you want to call it, looks like. And so, yes, having someone to guide you through that is so important. Wow. Well, I, I've really, I, I know I walked away with a lot of tools in my toolbox. And even though, you know, I'm a pediatrician, I, I try to talk to parents, you know, especially, especially towards the end, I, you know, when I know they're going to be transitioning to adult doctors, but I include, you know, school and what they're going to do after college. I I start that discussion in their junior year of um, their well visits and uh, just, and some of them have no idea and that's okay. I think just knowing where you're at is, is really important. And so that you can prepare and, and know, 
before we close, because um, this has really been amazing. I, uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. I, is there any, anything else that you want to add that you're like, okay, this is, you know, we've, I think we've, we've covered a lot of take-home points, but before we wrap things up, is there any, any other tools that you want to mention out there or re-mention because they're, they're worth mentioning again? Um, yeah, I think the main takeaway is, you know, give yourself space to make a good informed decision about what the right path is here and learn about it. So you listen to this podcast, you've learned a whole lot. If you start Googling things, you're going to learn even more. Um, and don't, don't wait too long. I think the biggest mistake people make is, you know, when we get calls from kids in who just finished their junior year and they're like, Oh, my SAT score isn't high enough to get this scholarship I wanted. It's often like, I don't know. There's not that much we can do at that point. Um, so start early. It doesn't mean you're going to be spending two years studying for the SAT. It just means that you're going to make a better decision for, for yourself, your student, your family. Um, so that's, that's probably the thing I would emphasize and, and re-mention. And if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Uh, the easiest way is go to our website, mindspire.com, M-I-N-D, mind, and then spire, one word, mindspire.com. And every page has a contact form and just uh, just fill out the contact form and we will usually give you a call that day or you know, the next business day at the latest um, and just start the conversation. And, you know, we're oh, we have long conversations with with um, families and students when when they come on, because there's we want to really get to know who the student is, where they're coming from, what what their needs are. And, um, you know, we don't do any kind of pressure sales where. We just want to guide you to the best decision for, for your student. So that's wonderful. Well, I know um, you are so cool. And I, I, I'm sure over the last quarter of a decade or quarter of a century (laughs) um, that you've really um, been such an amazing coach and, and uh, inspiration to so many kids. And I, I know that I've enjoyed our time together. So thank you, Shahar. And Thank you, everybody, for listening. And let's continue to just grow up together. Thanks for listening to another episode of Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. If you enjoyed this episode and think the information shared here today could benefit someone else, take a screenshot of the episode and post to your Instagram story. Make sure you tag us at Growing Up with Dr. Sarah so we can spread the word about the show and continue to grow in our mission to support as many parents and families as possible. Hey, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or would like to suggest a topic, please visit www.growingupwithdrsarah.com slash contact. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week as we continue to grow up together.